So we are in the middle of a series called Love Where You Live, The Art of Neighboring. And here's what's really cool about that, because what we just watched on the screen uh, is just a picture of what's happening all over our city. Uh, we are a part of, of a, uh, an initiative, if you will, to really help the church in Austin. And when I say the church in Austin, I don't just mean one particular expression of the church, but the big C church, as in we as Christ followers who all are under the same banner uh, of the person of Jesus as being our savior, being our, our way to salvation, that we are working together to really shift our mindset about how we live in the neighborhoods that God's placed us. Because we're convinced that we're not in our neighborhoods, we're not on our street, on our block, or in our apartment complex by accident. But that God actually has a purpose and a plan for where he's placed us. In fact, if you were here week one, we said from Acts chapter 17 that God sovereignly places us where we live so that we can be a part of God's process of helping people know and experience the life that Christ has. And so this morning, as we continue on in that, uh, I know that for some of you, you felt the way that this lady did and in, in, that this lady Tanya did in her uh, experience moving into her neighborhood. In fact, when we moved to South Austin in 2012, it was May of 2012, my family and I and some other families moved down to the south part of the city uh, to start a new church. And I knew that if we were going to start a church, we had to meet some people. And it makes logical sense you would want to meet your neighbors. Uh, but I felt almost immediately uh, this fear come over me, this sense of, oh my goodness, I've got to go meet people that I don't know. And I know some of you guys know me and you know that in general, like I, I'm, I, I meet people pretty easily. I'm pretty extroverted. Uh, I can go to a coffee shop and it doesn't take long to meet a couple new friends and we're having conversations about life. And, but I want you to know that that I still face fear. I still have fear at times and, and fear comes into my life. And so I'm not exempt from that. I don't like just get a free pass because I'm a pastor. And, you know, it's easier in some ways for me to stand up here or sit up here on Sunday mornings and to teach from God's word and to talk to a group of people who have gathered together to worship God and, and have these conversations. In some ways, there's less anxiety, less fear, if you will, than to actually go and meet my neighbors, to meet the people who live around me who may not believe what I believe, who probably don't see life through the same exact lens that I see it through. And so as I was thinking about that this morning um, and, and all week this past, actually the past couple of weeks, I was thinking about, God, how do we move past that barrier in our lives? Because the chances are, if you're like me, uh, that one of the primary reasons we don't interact with our neighbors is because we're afraid. We're afraid of some things, and we're going to talk about some of the things that we're afraid of this morning, but I want us to quickly review where we've been over the last couple of weeks, just in case you haven't been with us the entire time, and saying that week one, we, we looked at what is the most important thing that we can do if we claim to know Jesus, if we claim to be a Christ follower. Uh, we call ourselves, as Harley mentioned earlier, a family of Jesus followers. That means we're trying to follow his example and the way he lived. We also look to Jesus as our sole source of salvation. We don't believe we can save ourselves, that Christ has saved us. And so here we are living this life, and we're now trying to experience what it looks like daily uh, to follow him, to obey him. And so when I think about how living as Jesus lives, uh, what does that mean practically? It means that we love God and we love people. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was asked that question, what's the greatest thing you can do with your life? He said, love me and love people, right? 
uh, love God and love people. And so in the Luke chapter 10, we actually looked at a little bit of that story. In fact, Harley read some of it last week to you guys and talked about how that this young expert in the law comes to Jesus and he asks that question. He says, uh, he actually asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns the tables on him because Jesus is a master at this and says, uh, you've read the law, you've read the scripture, what do you think it says? How do you read it? And then this man, of course, wanting to show his intelligence and his ability to, to have a handle on the law, says, well, it's love God and love people. And Jesus says, good job, I'll give you a gold star, you got the right answer. But he wasn't satisfied with that and he wants to justify himself. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. And the story is... The story of the Good Samaritan. And this story is a very interesting story because it does show us what it means to be a good neighbor. Jesus didn't go after just who is my neighbor. He actually goes after a deeper question, maybe a more difficult question, which was who is being a neighbor? Who is being a good neighbor? And he does this by saying there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and on his way he falls among some thieves. And these thieves beat him up and they take his stuff and they leave him for dead in the ditch. And then from that point, here comes this priest walking down the road. He sees the man and his need and his issues, and he decides to walk on the other side and to go right past. By the way, you did hear me say that was a priest, right? He was coming from doing his religious duty at the temple, and he walks by someone with a very practical need, hurting in the ditch, maybe dying. And then the worship pastor, the Levite, comes along, who also had responsibilities to help with people worshiping God in the temple. And he sees this man in the ditch. He sees this man hurting. And he walks on the other side of the road, too. And finally, a third person comes by, and it's a Samaritan. Which, at that point, when Jesus is telling this story, all the Jewish leaders would have gasped, Oh, no, not a Samaritan. No way. Not the half-breed Samaritans. Not these Samaritans who we don't like and we don't talk about. We don't even use their names. In fact, he won't use their name when he repeats or he answers the question that Jesus is asking him at the end of the story. And so you can see in the, the story that Jesus is clearly painting a picture that this Samaritan who sees this man's need and then he meets this need by putting some ointment on him and putting him on his donkey and taking him to the inn and providing for him and taking care of him, that he is the true neighbor. That he's willing to put himself out there and be the true neighbor to this man that's hurting. But as we read this story, you have to ask the question, why did the priest and why did the Levite pass this guy? I mean, what was going on in their minds and in their hearts that that said, I don't need to help? I mean, these guys were full-time paid staff people. Okay, they, they should know better. They knew the text. They knew the scripture. They knew love God and love people was there. They knew that love your neighbor meant, you know, anyone really. They, They knew that. They got that. And yet they walk past him. And last week, Harley told us that a big piece of this is because we struggle with time. We struggle with wanting to give others a piece of our time. Because we have enough stuff going on. We're busy people, right? We're busy, busy people. And we've always got things going on. And we've got work to do. And we've got people to to see and take care of. And we've got our families. And we've got stuff that's going on. And, And some of us just are like, and I just want some time to myself every now and then too. Where I don't have to interact with people. I don't want to have to engage people. And so here in this particular story, we could probably guess because Jesus doesn't really say. But maybe time was a barrier for them. Maybe they're thinking, i got to get home to dinner. i got to get home to my family. They need me to be there. I've been gone all day and I just need to get there. And if I stop, this is going to take me a lot more time than I want to give. 
But the second reason I think that probably they struggled that day is because they were afraid. They were human beings, just like you and I are human beings, and they probably had some fears. And they had some fears, maybe like if we stop and help this guy, what if he's like maybe faking it? Maybe he's just baiting a trap over here, and, and there's more guys that are going to come out, and they're going to jump me. Maybe they're going to hurt me. Maybe these, this guy, if we help him, you know, like this is going to cost me a whole lot of money. This is going to cost me a lot more time. Maybe that, that's a part of the, the fear that they had. But we notice here in the story that clearly they didn't help. And so we can read in and say just because they were human beings, they probably struggled with fear at some level. At some level, they probably had a difficulty overcoming the fear barrier. And, and that's why the Samaritan, somehow he pressed past the fear to actually ministering practically to the needs of this man who was hurting. Now, fear starts with a healthy response. Okay, it starts with a healthy response to danger, but it can many times in our lives move to an unhealthy, maybe lingering, unfounded sense of anxiety that paralyzes us. Um, when I grew up in the panhandle of Texas, I don't know how anybody in here grew up in the plains, but when you hear a tornado siren go off and you grew up in the panhandle, you take that for real. Like, you don't say, oh, maybe they're testing them. You, like, go find a low place to get to immediately, right? Because I was in a town where many times tornadoes would come over, and we hear the tornado siren, and, man, we would head to the basement. We would head to our friend's cellar, and we were hiding. We were there. And, and you know, that's, that's a, a healthy sense of fear, right? There's a fight-or-flight response to fear. And, and we knew, like, if you heard that sound, that was serious business. You needed to move to safety. That's a good thing, right? But what happens for us as human beings is that many times that fear can actually move us even further into anxiety. That we can get to a place where we've got this lingering, nagging sense of fear. And many times that fear is unfounded. I mean, maybe you had an experience in the past. Uh, recently, or even to this week, we had dinner with a family. And uh, they were telling us that they had a wreck not so long ago. And that they were rear-ended. And that from that point... Uh, as they're now out on the roads, every time somebody pulls up behind them, it's in a white Jeep. Uh, literally, they all like kind of uh, brace themselves. You ever been there? My wife, when we were in Round Rock, she uh, was in a wreck, similar kind of situation. And she was hit from behind and then pushed into another vehicle. And, and still to this day, she chicken breaks it like crazy. Like I'm driving down the road and we get close to the car. And she's like, ah, you know, she's like tense, right? Because she remembers that, that moment of hitting the, uh, this other vehicle. And so the point being is this, is that there's probably some things in our lives that have given us some fear, that have, have affected our, uh, our, our mindset about things that we're afraid of. But sometimes it's just purely that we are wrestling with anxiety and fear that's there because our hearts are fearful. And we are, are not giving those fears to God. We're, we're trying to, to avoid or to fix those fears on our own. And there's really three things I noticed that we tend to fear, especially in regards to our conversation about neighboring, okay? The first thing that we tend to fear is we tend to fear physical harm, physical harm. We live in a relatively safe place on the planet. Have you noticed that? I mean, Austin is a large city and it's one of the safest large cities you could possibly live. But many of us still have fears of physical harm. And you're like, well, why do I have fear of physical harm? Well, because for many of us, um, you know, if you turn on the news, or you turn on your, uh, your social media, or you turn on any sort of media device, period. There's a 24-7 constant feed of what? News that's like, it's danger, and it's, it's depressing, it's discouraging, and even at times it's frightening. 
And you hear these stories about things that are going on in our world and it breeds fear in our lives. And it, it causes us to be uh, afraid to interact with other people. It causes us to be paranoid. Anybody been with me? Anybody ever been there? And sometimes you could truly feel like literally paranoid about life. And like, I don't even want my kids to go outside. Or I don't want to deal with this. Because there's just things in our lives that feed fear into our minds and to our hearts. And it's one of the ways that the enemy actually attacks us. And to keep, keeps us from having healthy relationships is because we're afraid of physical harm. We're afraid somebody's going to hurt us. Somebody's going to do something to us. But the other thing that we fear a lot of times is, is personal rejection. If you don't fear physical harm, my guess is every single one of you in this room can identify with fearing personal rejection. In fact, this week in our life group, uh, we had a discussion. And if you're not a part of a life group, I encourage you to get into that because we, won't, we don't want you just to hear information about God and, and then walk out and say, okay, that was a really good sermon or talk, and then go do whatever. We actually hope that you would apply it to your life. And that best happens in the context of community. And we call that community here uh, life groups. And so we were meeting with our life group and we we're having the discussion about the time barrier. And Harley put a question in there this week. He said, okay, just in general, like what, what is a barrier for you? To, meet, to reaching your neighbors, to loving your neighbors, to knowing your neighbors. And of course, our group immediately went to this issue of fear. They immediately went to this conversation about, you know, fear of rejection. Because we don't want to be the weirdo. Anybody ever been there? I don't want to be the weird, odd person who goes and like knocks on their door and they're like, I don't want to talk to you. Get away from me. Now, what we've discovered in our lives is that the majority of people in my neighborhood, that's not how they feel at all. I said a while ago that when we got down here to South Austin, we knew we needed to meet some neighbors, but that we had some fear. Well, one of the first things that we did is we decided, look, we're going to have an ice cream party at our house because we figured everybody likes ice cream, right? And so here we go. We go, to, go down the street. We actually made a little, little handout flyer thing, and we started walking around and passing out these little flyers for, on our street. And I remember the whole way I'm thinking, like, you know, people think we're so weird, you know, like we're passing out this ice cream thing. I mean, people are like thinking, this is 2015. You don't do this stuff anymore, right? We keep to ourselves. We don't talk to people around us. We got to live in isolation. That's the better way to do it. Don't have to deal with it. But we're just passing these things out, and we're thinking the whole time, like just every door I walk to, my heart's beating a little faster. My, I'm like, oh, you know, hey, kids, why don't y'all, y'all, y'all go do it, yeah? Y'all don't, you run up there. You go take it up there. Here's what's crazy. Like we get ready two weeks later to host this party and, and I'm getting everything together and, and uh, we've got this ice cream made and, and, and we're thinking, I'm, I'm going, is anybody going to come? Is anybody going to show up? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that they're just going to reject the invitation. They're not going to show up. They're not coming. So, you know, I'm just going to go ahead. It's doom and gloom. Nobody's going to be here. 40 people showed up from my, my street. Like 40 of our neighbors showed up. And what I found pretty quickly is that all of them had fears at different times of being rejected. And no one really wanted to initiate, but they all wanted to get to know each other. They all actually wanted to hang out. They all wanted to, to know each other's names and, and have a relationship, but no one was instigating it. And so my fears were really unfounded. They were fears that I was putting into my own mind. And I'm sure there was probably a few neighbors that didn't come. that were like those freaks down there, you know, whatever. That's fine. But the majority of my neighbors on my street, they came. In fact, there's some neighbors sitting in this room today who are here because of we got to meet them through that ice cream party at our house. It was really cool. Now, again, personal rejection can really own us. And, and it, doesn't, it, it does start pretty young, doesn't it? 
how we can really be afraid of what other people think about us. I mean, it's hardwired into us to want to be accepted, to want to be loved, to, be want, to want to be included. And when we're not, it really messes with us. And that's a hardwired thing that God's put in us. But I want you to know that you don't have to live and die by people's opinions of you. And we're going to talk about that in a second and why. But the third thing that scares us to death sometimes about getting involved with our neighbors, doing what Tanya did, is people's neediness. Not only are we afraid that they might reject us, but we're afraid that if we do get to know them, they're probably going to have issues. And then those issues are then going to get on us. Or they're going to require something of us. So like if we don't know their problems, if we don't know they have hurts, if we don't know that they have needs, then we don't have to do anything about them. Because we're like, we don't know. But the moment we know... The moment we find out, oh man, now I got to do something. Now I need to help them. Now I should probably cook them a meal because they're going through a hard time. I should probably actually help them in some way. I should, oh, that they're part of their fence that fell down. I probably should go over there and do something about that, right? It's just easier if we stay to ourselves and we don't know. But for some of us, we're fearful. But here's the thing. We all have issues. We all have neediness. Now, we don't like to say that. We don't want to acknowledge that. But we all have issues. We all have struggles. We all have things that that we're working through, things that need to be worked on, things that we need help with. And we've learned actually that one of the best ways to build community in our neighborhood is just simply by acknowledging we have needs and asking our neighbors to help us. Simple things like asking for eggs. Uh, Some of our neighbors now they see us coming and they don't answer the door because we're going to ask them for food. No, I'm just kidding. Um, That was for my wife. Um, but seriously, like we, we just have learned like being aware that we can ask our neighbors for things then opens the door to have a conversation, a relationship with them. And I'm just saying that to you this morning because we all have those needs, no matter how pretty of a a picture we paint on the front, uh, front, uh, of our house. And, and this idea of like, we've got it all together. I can guarantee you between behind every closed door in our city, there's needs, there's issues, there's struggles. There's difficulties. People are going through sickness and pain and job loss and hardship and stress and anxiety and worry. And, 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 and yes, those needs are there, but we don't have to be afraid of them. And, and again, I'll address why here in a minute. So the question I want to answer for the rest of our time is how do we actually overcome this fear? How do we actually get past this fear to the place where we can get to know our neighbors? How can we actually move from this place of being paralyzed by sometimes unfounded or lingering anxiety... To, to moving into people's lives and even into their mess because we want to be the kind of Christ followers who truly love people like Christ has loved us. We want to love and care for people the way that God has cared for us. Well, the first one is this. I want to read from you, read for you. If you've got your Bible and you'll pull it out from 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. And, and if you don't have a Bible, there's actually someone under the... The chairs in front of you, if you want to pull that out, you're welcome to do that. But also the verses will be on the screen. And in 2 Timothy, this is a book that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a pastor in the early church. Paul was an apostle. He was the greatest missionary to ever walk the planet. Started a lot of churches, reached a lot of people with the gospel. And he has this young protege, Timothy, who he's pouring into. And he writes in these letters, and we have them recorded in First and Second Timothy And he says this to Timothy in verse 6. He says, Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So 
Paul had actually put his hands on him and prayed over him. That's what the scripture had told. Uh, that's the instruction he, they had received, the apostles had received. And so they, they, he literally puts his hands on Timothy and he prays for him. Okay? It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. If you haven't got that underlined or highlighted in your Bible, I encourage you to do that. In fact, I encourage you to even memorize that scripture this week, okay? Let me read it again. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We're going to come back to that. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death, our greatest enemy, right? Possibly our greatest fear. And he says he's abolished it and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know the one, that being Jesus, I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Now, there is so much rich stuff there. It is a great passage when we are struggling with fear to actually accomplish the work that God's called us to. Which, by the way, again, loving God, loving people, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said when he left. That's our job. That's our task. That's our mission. And that's when you're going to feel most fulfilled in life. It's when you're going to feel like things are clicking and things are best is when you're actually functioning in the mission that God's given you. But notice what he says. The first thing that I want you to, to put down today is the way to overcome fear is to go with God. To go with God. When you go, when I go... As we go, we don't go alone. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, again, I'm, I'm a relational person. And so when I do things, I like to do it with groups. At a minimum, I like to do it with just someone else. But I like to go do things with people. And as we are actually trying to accomplish the work that God has, we need to, to remember that we go with God Go with God. Notice in that verse, in verse 6 again, he says, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift that God of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I have, I have laid my hands on you. I pray that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and you would receive the authority as a leader. Now, again... For every one of us in this room who, are a, who, who claims to be a Christ follower, and I realize some of you may not be a Christ follower yet. Maybe you're just exploring this thing, checking this out, and I want you to know you are welcome here. In fact, I'm really proud of you for even being in the room, coming and having a conversation with us. But if you are a Christ follower, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That means God is with you because he, God is in you. Are you hearing that? I think some of you guys are asleep this morning. God is not just with you. God is in you. Like, how cool is that? God lives inside of us. That means that the power that God has is inside of us. We live so timid. We live so fearful. We live, we live so stressed out and anxious and so worried about our, our physical uh, health or physical uh, pain. And, and we, we, we worry so much about people rejecting us. But all the while, God is inside of us. God 
is in us. We are not God, but he dwells inside of us. And so when we go, we go with God. In Psalm 3, David writes there, he's struggling with fear. And I love reading the Psalms because you see that even this man after God's own heart regularly struggles with fear. He regularly struggles with just anxiety and stress and worry about his enemies and what they're going to do to him and how they're going to overwhelm him. And so, like, even if you're the best Christian in the room today, you still struggle with fear at times. Your flesh still can, can wrestle. And David says in Psalm 3, he says, um, I will, God, you are my shield. As I go into battle, you are my shield and you are my victor. That idea of shield that literally, it's a shield that surrounds and protects us from our enemy. And God is that for us. And that as we go into the battle, as we go into everyday life and into relationships, and I'm not saying that going to your neighbor's house is necessarily the biggest battle you're going to face this week, okay? But the enemy will come against you because he doesn't want you to know your neighbor. He doesn't want you to have a relationship with them. He doesn't want them to ever see or hear about Jesus whatsoever. Are are you tracking? He, He does not want you to have a relationship with your neighbor because they might see the light of Christ in your eyes and they may want that. And so it is a battle. But as we go... We get to go with God and we get to go with him as our shield who protects us as he is our defender. And so that helps us overcome that fear of even the physical harm of knowing that God is bigger and more powerful and more awesome than anything we could face. And God, notice in verse eight, he says that very thing. He says, instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on what? On the power of God. Listen, if I rely on my own power, my own ability to go out and to love my neighbors, it's not going to last very long because I'm just going to retreat back to my house. I'm going to say, it's just easier to like get in my door as fast as possible and not have to know them and not talk, not talk to them. <laughs> That's me and my flesh, right? And, and yet we have the power of God at work. We do not go alone. And as I said a while ago, I encourage you not only to, to go with God, this is just a side note, but go with God's people. Go with God's people. When Jesus sent out his disciples to go and to share the gospel into the surrounding villages, he sent them out not alone, but with a partner, at least two by two, so they could go out and encourage and support and build up one another. So this morning, if we're going to overcome the fear of getting to know our neighbors, we need to do that with God's strength and power, but also with others, God's people, who can help us when we get discouraged and distracted. The next thing that we see in this passage that's really helpful for overcoming our fear is to set our hope on God's acceptance. To set our hope on God's acceptance. Verse 9, he being Jesus, God, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, again, that is a lot to chew on right there. What I just said, we could spend a long, long time unpacking together this morning. But let me just try to give you just a really quick uh, insight into what he's saying. He is saying that we have been saved by God and called to a new purpose, not because of what we did, but because of what Christ has done. So what that is saying to us this morning is that there is nothing that you and I could ever do. There is nothing that you could and I could ever do to, to earn God's love. And there is nothing that you and I could ever do to lose God's love. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to earn our way into heaven. And there is nothing that you and I could ever do to to lose our way into heaven if we have put our hope and trust in Jesus. 
if we have put our hope and trust in Jesus. Every person on the planet has that choice. At some point, they have that choice. Am I going to put my trust in Jesus, or am I going to live for myself and try to earn my way into something that's in an after, some sort of afterlife kind of thing, heaven, whatever you want to call it. And there's a lot of, of uh, ideology surrounding this, uh, this idea of heaven lately. You may have noticed there's another movie that just came out. But I want you to know no one, according to Scripture, according to the Bible, and this is what we're going to go with, no one gets into heaven without Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus Christ. I know that may not be popular. That may not be the way that our world and our culture thinks, but that's what the Scripture clearly says. Jesus is the only way. And in this passage, he says that Jesus has given us that if we are his, his child, not because of our works, but because of his work. And that is encouragement this morning to my soul because that means, listen, catch this, that means that nobody's opinion can change the fact that I'm going to spend eternity with God. Nobody's opinion of me, no neighbor thinking I'm weird or strange or odd or awkward or any of those things is going to change the fact that I am loved and accepted in God. And I need to remember that. In fact, I need to tell myself that because even as a church leader, sometimes I can let people's opinions control me. And so I can find myself in fear rather than walking in faith and confidence in who God has made me to be. And who God has established me to be as his child. And again, as we said a while ago, as one who's with him. Our ultimate acceptance is in Christ Jesus. We don't have to fear people's opinions. Some of you guys need to be set free from that. I've noticed that there's people who sometimes they say, I'm not controlled by people's opinions. I don't really care. What, what they really are saying is, I'm going to reject them before they can reject me. Most of the time, those hard shells, that's, that's really what's going on because it is hardwired into us to really do care about what people think. And yet, we know that our ultimate acceptance is found not in people, but in God, in Christ. And we have that. If you're a Christ follower, you have that. You don't have to earn it. You have it. That's an awesome thought this morning. The third thing is this. We overcome fear, fear especially in the area of neediness reaching out to people who have issues. We overcome this by understanding that God is our supply. God is our supply. Can I just have a a moment again of honesty with you guys this morning? As as a pastor, as a leader, there's times where um, my wife will say, hey, we've got a couple coming over to the house, a family coming over, and I'm like, I really don't want anybody to come over right now. I just want to go home, I want to watch some ESPN, and I want to go to bed. Can I do that? And in those moments, I see my flesh and I see how, how like, I'm just, I'm tired. I, I'm done. Stick me with a fork. You know, send me to bed. I, I'm, I am done, right? And, and I, I don't want to talk to people anymore. And what I have noticed is that when I'm honest with God about that, and I say, God, just, would you help me? Would you help my heart in this moment? Because I just don't feel like being around people right now. I don't really want to go know any more neighbors. I don't want to go talk to anybody else. I'm just, I'm done. I'm emotionally drained. I'm, I'm tired. Physically, I'm tired. And I just say, God, i just being honest with that. Would you just fill me up? Would you just give me strength? Would you give me courage? Would you help me to see that you can love through me even when I feel like I have nothing left to give? And time and time again, I've seen God answer that prayer. And what's cool is, is that rather than drained when those people leave, I'm energized. Rather than like, oh man, that was terrible. I'm so glad they're gone. I, I've ne- I mean, maybe a couple of y'all, but anyway, no, but... <laughs> Seriously, like when I finish that, usually, typically, I'm like so thankful for that opportunity. I'm so thankful that we had them there, even though I didn't feel like it. Point being this, we have to see God as our supply. 
that he is the one who can love through us. We are just conduits of his grace and his mercy to the world around us. We are conduits of his resources to help and serve other people. In fact, Philippians 4 verse 19, I'm just going to pull one verse out of a very powerful section there in, in Philippians 4 where Paul is writing again. And he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying we have everything we need and he will supply that for us in order to do the work he's called us to. Anybody ever feel like you're overwhelmed already with life? You don't have enough capacity to take on one more thing? Listen, God is sufficient. God is sufficient. And he will help us. He will help you. Our job is not to be people's Messiah. Our job is to be a messenger. Our job is not to be people's saviors, but to point them to the Savior. And that takes the load off. That we don't have to solve everybody's problems, but we do know the one who can. And we do know the one who is the author of hope and peace and joy. You see, here's the thing. The opposite of fear is not the absence of fear, but it's love. The opposite of fear is not the absence of fear, but it's love. 1 John 4, 8 says it this way. That perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives drives out fear. Well, what are you talking about, Nick? Because here's the thing. I'm convinced that human beings, our greatest fear is, act, is not actually death. Even though I know it always hits the top of the list of a fear of dying, you know what I think our greatest fear is? I think our greatest fear when I talk to people is dying unloved. Like living a life where they truly don't feel loved. But when we understand the power And the goodness of God's love that's not based on our performance, that's not based on our ability to earn it, that's not based on how many times you go to church or how many times you check the box and said you read the Bible or how many dollars you put in an offering plate. All that stuff, guys, does not earn your way to heaven. We are loved because God is love. And he speaks that. And the only thing we can do is his children, as people, we can receive it. And as we receive it, I'm convinced, I'm absolutely 100% convinced that the more we are enamored with and aware of and, and we receive the love of God, our capacity to love others grows. It swells. And all of a sudden, those neighbors who just seem like they're these needy strangers that we really don't have time for, we start to see them through the lens of our God. We start to see them through the lens of Jesus and we start to have compassion for them because we realize how much compassion Jesus has shown us. We start to see them not as a, another thing that I got to do and say, oh, I better be a missional person because that's what it means to be a mature Christ follower. No, we see them and we say, God, you loved me enough that you moved into the neighborhood. You put flesh on. You took on our suffering, our pain. You ultimately went on the cross and died for our sin. You took all those things because you loved us that much. God, help me to love other people the way that you love me. I'm convinced that unless we're motivated by love, we will not last This love where you live, art of neighboring thing will be a a trend and it'll be here and gone. But when we grasp the love of God, we'll actually be able to love even those annoying coworkers. Even that neighbor who keeps doing that thing, you're like, man, would you please stop? We can begin to love people because we see them not just as a temporary problem, but as an eternal being that God wants to be with them forever. We need God. We need God's help. And because God loves us, we can trust him with our safety, 
our security, and our capacity to love others. We can trust him. He's a good father. He takes care of us. He loves us. So here's my encouragement practically to you guys this week. Um, If you're fearful, if you're afraid, I mean, again, we we don't track all of you down and go, okay, let's go see how how afraid they are. (laughs) Okay, we don't do that. But if you're fearful today, here's the cool thing. One, God already knows. It doesn't scare God away that you're fearful. It doesn't make him angry that you're fearful. In fact, God is saying to you, I want, you, I want to help you overcome that fear. And if you're fearful today, I want you just to get honest about it. Get honest. Maybe you need to find somebody else, maybe in a life group context, to say, I'm fearful. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'll, you know, I hear this love where you live stuff. I just can't wait till they stop preaching about this so I don't feel guilt every Sunday because I'm just afraid. You know? If we can get past this series, then we'll move on. Well, I hate to tell you this, but for the next year, we're going to be talking about this in some form. Okay? And it's not because we don't like you. It's because we want something for you. We want you to experience the fullness of life that God has called you to. And that life is not about you. That life's about Jesus. And so when you learn how to live in light of what Christ has already done, there's incredible freedom and there's incredible joy that you get to experience in him. But you get honest And you go to God in prayer and you give it to God. We like to quote this verse fairly often around here. But in Matthew, Jesus said, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Cast all your anxieties is one way it's translated. If you have fear, if you have stress, if you have anxiety, you can cast that on God. He's big enough to handle it. He's not not fearful of your fear. Right? God is a God who loves you. And he wants to minister to your heart. And some of you have have fears in this area and you just need to be able to give those to God. And then can we just come to God and just ask him to help us? That's pretty practical, isn't it? Just really simply, can we just ask God, God, would you help me not to be so fearful? God, would you help me to like move past myself to be, to overcome this fear of of physical harm and fear of rejection and and fear of, of having to be overwhelmed with other people's problems? God, would you help me? And you know what he says to you today when you ask that question? He says, yes, I'll help you because I love you. And I've been waiting for you to ask me that. I don't force myself on you. I'm just waiting. So if our city is going to see the church the way that God hopes and intends, which, by the way, the number one way the church is intended to be seen in the world is to be a place of love. We're going to need God's help. We're going to need God's grace. We're going to need God's mercy. Ultimately, we're going to need the gospel. The good news that even though we've probably blown it in this area multiple times, God is still good to forgive and rescue, redeem, and work. So that's, that's my hope this morning for all of us is that we can move past this fear barrier because Christ has saved us once and for all for eternity. He saved us. And we no longer have to fear the thing that we fear the most, being unloved.